Hey guys, this is Christina Yerling Biro. Welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential. It's finally prediction time ahead of the Oscar drama on Sunday, and we'll be coming at you from all angles this week. Today, Cal Buchanan is the New York Times carpetbagger, one of the best Oscar predictors and award season reporters out there, in my opinion. I encourage you to check out his interviews during the season. Antonio Banderas and Adam Driver were two of my favorites. And I'm so thrilled that he wants to come back to Pop Culture Confidential ahead of the Oscars for the third year. He imparts his thoughtful analysis about our cultural and political zeitgeist that may sway the voters ahead of the Oscars. He gives us some personal preferences and insights as to what's been happening during award season that may impact the voting. Now, this is a strange year. Even though it's a very short Oscar season, it feels like it was so long ago that great movies like Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Scorsese's The Irishman were all the buzz. But they seem to have lost some steam along the way. Now, these last two weeks, there are two other frontrunners. Will the Academy go for the more traditional, the technical marvel that is 1917? Or will it be a historic best picture with the South Korean masterpiece, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite? I'm so happy that Kyle Buchanan is with me to sort out this crazy Oscar season and to predict some of the major categories with me. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. And thanks for having me. So we, before we get into the predictions, what are your general thoughts on this very short Oscar season? <laughs> it's kind of uh, surprising for me because I just got back from the Sundance Film Festival and I'm, I'm usually used to a cool down period of about a month, a month and a half before the Oscars. But no, we are rolling right into it. Uh, to some degree, I understand the reason, uh, you know, I mean, I think... There are so many award shows and the general public has mostly moved on from last year's movies before March, uh, which is when they were last year. Um, I think there might be a somewhat happier medium than having them this suddenly. Uh, I know that there are a lot of Oscar voters who are complaining that they don't have enough time to watch all the movies. Then again, a lot of Oscar voters save that for the last minute, no matter when these awards are. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think, you know, maybe move it back a week or so. Uh, but also people, I think there should maybe be a shorter season. And I think that if voters get used to uh, <laughs> the sort of compression of the season, then we can adjust and account for it next year. Do you think it'll have any effect on the winners themselves and I'm thinking like a, a movie like 1917 just felt like it just came out. It did. And which, it's a front runner. Well, yes. And that's, listen, that's a risky gambit. A lot of movies that screen as late as 1917 and come out as late as 1917 don't always find traction because sometimes opinions about the best movies of the year can become awfully entrenched. But since the Golden Globes, 1917 has led an awfully charmed life at one. Uh, top awards of the Producers Guild, at the Directors Guild, and usually movies that do all of those things go on to win Best Picture. So basically, you don't need that long festival run. Um, 1917 didn't, in this case. I also <laughs> don't know that 1917 would have been a festival favorite anyway. Um, certainly, Parasite wasn't hurt by that. Parasite came out in May, it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and has 
slowly but steadily built itself into a juggernaut. If there's any movie that can defeat 1917, it's Parasite. And what about, I know last year when we talked, we talked a lot about sort of Netflix um, takeover of the Oscars. How are they doing this year? Not as well. I mean, they have a lot more nominations than they had last year, but can they actually deliver on those and get wins? That's the question. Laura Dern is uh, for sure a certain thing in supporting actress, so that will give Netflix at least one win for Marriage Story. Uh, but beyond that, uh, these are kind of tough contests. They could win you know, in documentary. They could potentially win an animated feature. But in a lot of the other really big movies, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And it's an interesting reversal for a company that at one point seemed like it could have as many as three contenders in the best picture race. The Two Popes was just on the outside of that. And it, uh, listen, it's, you know, it's no small task that Marriage Story and The Irishman are both in there for Netflix. I think it just seemed uh, when The Irishman was first coming out that there was enough critical acclaim that it would be a major, major Oscar contender. And now I think it could go home completely empty-handed. Wow. Is there still that sort of, um, from the older Academy viewer, um, Academy voters that we were talking about last year, that sort of, no, I'm not going to vote for a Netflix movie? Uh, or has that gotten better? Well, yes and no. Um, I don't think it's necessarily as overt, but I think that's partly because the difference was so stark last year. You know, you had a very populist comedy theatrically released in Green Book, and then you had a super arty film pushed by, you know, an, an ascending streamer in Roma. This year, it's not really coming down to those things. And I wonder if, I don't know if it's as overt a rebuke of Netflix, but I can't help but notice that the two movies that are you know, that looks like it's going to be the, the sort of strongest head-to-head -head battle for Best Picture, which are 1917 and Parasite, both offer sort of a testimonial to the theatrical experience. I mean, 1917 is truly, yeah. it's, it's truly one of those movies where it's like you have to watch it in a theater to get the full effect. And Parasite is a movie where it's, people rushed out to the theater to see that movie before they had it sort of spoiled for them. The word of mouth was so powerful and so exciting became the one thing that everybody had to, had to, had to, had to see, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that, uh, I think that might be part of the reason that it's come down to those two. Okay. I thought we'd start looking at the original and adapted screenplay, um, categories. Cause those, I'm having a bit of trouble with those. I think I know what I'm going to do, but what are your predictions? Uh, well, original screenplay, I mean, it's an interesting category cause you have 1917, which is probably the best picture front runner. Although we'll see, <laughs> we'll see when we get to that category, if that's what we, yeah. um, but the script is awfully sparse. I don't think it's going to be a contender, even though to win Best Picture, you almost always have to win a screenplay award. So it probably comes down to Quentin Tarantino, who's a two-time winner in this category for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. I have to say, as much as the Academy loves Quentin, I think it's going to be Parasite. Parasite won the WGA. It has a very ingenious screenplay. Uh, there's obviously a lot of passion for that film. And I think Parasite has better odds to win Best Picture than Once Upon a Time, so therefore better odds in this screenplay category. 
That's it. I think so too. And and you have, but there has been a change. Does Roma have anything to do with the fact that the Academy is really a sort of nominated parasite in six really big um, categories? And and is there a change, or does it just happen to be this picture? I think both of those things. It probably didn't hurt that Roma came along just before this. You know, just as it doesn't hurt that the Academy has really been opening itself up to a more international audience in in terms of diversifying its membership. Um, I think Roma was less accessible, to be frank, than Parasite is. Uh, it's much more of an art film. It's just that Netflix spent an unprecedented sum in making people see and respect that movie, uh, which helped. Neon, uh, the company behind Parasite, you know, they're, they're spending and keeping it in the race and certainly flying Bong Joon-ho, the director, almost everywhere in the world. Uh, but it's not the sum that Netflix spent. And I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that that movie is um, so accessible, um, so easy for even sort of most subtitle averse voter to get, to get into it. Okay, so adapted screenplay then. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be Jojo Rabbit. Um, you know, I know that a lot of the internet wants it to be Greta Gerwig for Little Women, and certainly you can make the case that because there was all that controversy over Gerwig not getting nominated for Best Director, that this is the ideal place to make it up to her. And you'd be making it up to her for Lady Bird, uh, for which she was mm-hmm. nominated just a few years ago, and the film took home no Oscars whatsoever. Uh, all that said, I think it's going to be Jojo. Uh, a strong portion of the Academy really loves this movie, uh, to the point where there was, you know, at one point in the season, I thought it could be sort of a, a sleeper stealth, uh, contender to win best picture. Um, Mm -hmm. and what they really love is Taika Waititi. I was at the PGA awards a few weeks ago and when he came up just to present to an award, these two PGA voters next to me sort of both approvingly murmured at each other, he's a genius. And they really do feel that <laughs> way, and he's such a pleasure. They also like actors who write, um, especially in this case, an actor who appears in his own movie, and in that is sort of the personification of the tightrope walk that he is uh, you know, doing with the entire film because he's playing Hitler. And he's making it right. funny, uh, at least to, you know, the voters who respond to it. So, uh, yeah, I think he's got this one sewn up. And Taika and Bong are taking some incredibly good pictures together when they're on different in, in different award ceremonies. So they make a good winner's couple there. Uh, it would have been fun to see Noah and Greta in each screenplay um, there, but um, that'll happen one day, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, there also could have been a Noah-Greta competition in Best Director, but the Academy didn't go that way, which we'll talk about once we get to that category. Yeah. Let's jump to editing, because editing is one of those categories that historically has been said that you have to have a nomination in editing to win the Best Picture. And I don't see 1917 here. Um, tell me about this. Well, I think 1917 was left out of this category for the same reason that Birdman was left out of this category, which is, you know, they're very long takes that are stitched together to look like one seamless take. And so that doesn't seem like the conventional idea of editing to the Academy. In fact, a lot of the time, I think when it comes to this category, um, 
there's basically three reasons you make it in. One is extremely quick, flashy, uh, apparent editing, which Ford versus Ferrari, and for that matter, Parasite have. Um, and uh, often the sort of just like the weight of prestige, uh, which the Irishman has. Thomas Schoonmaker, uh, Scorsese's editor, is kind of a legend. Uh, and Joker is in there too. And then you've got Jojo Rabbit, which is, you know, in there because they love it and because it's cut for a comic effect. Right. Notably, uh, the Tarantino movie is not in here. Um, sometimes they uh, don't mind if you let your scenes go on for a long time, and sometimes they do. And in this case, it got snipped. Right. But I think this is going to come down to Parasite versus Ford versus Ferrari. Um, you know, Ford versus Ferrari just won this award a BAFTA, the British equivalent of the Oscars. So I don't think you should count it out. I don't know. This is extremely close, but I think I'm going to go for Parasite. Okay. So yeah, because I was hoping you were going to say, well, Parasite's in there, and that's what's going to win Best Picture. See, that's well, what I, what, I, <laughs> what I hope is that when they see Parasite, they'll remember the editing that went into all of those sort of crucial set pieces of the movie. You know, the you know, when the family returns as the as the two families are buying for dominance or the very end of the movie, uh, all of the cross-cutting characters in different locations, it is timed to a T. It is so perfectly done, so impeccable. And I hope they'll remember that because Ford versus Ferrari just, you know, it's conventional. I mean, it's fantastically done. But you hear that and you're like, oh, yeah, of course, the editing mm-hmm. that goes into the car races. Um, whereas Parasite, I think you just have to remember sort of the entire thing holistically. Um, another one which I think is incredibly difficult to predict because there's some incredible artistry there is production design, where it yeah. seems to be the sort of remaking of Hollywood in the 1960s for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You have 1917 with all these incredible trenches and, of course, that house in Parasite, um, which seems to be the front runners for me. What are you thinking here? This is, like you said, an awfully tough category. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's pretty impeccable, all of the recreation that goes into that movie, from the smallest little props to the biggest sets. But I can't shake the feeling that the movie has kind of lost steam. Um, So that makes me think that as many of these categories will, it comes down to 1917 versus Parasite. 1917, uh, outdoor movies don't often win in this category, but I think that the nighttime sequence and the incredible use of shadow um, in the sort of ruins that uh, our our character is, is... uh, you know, dodging through. I think that could be enough to clinch it. This again kind of comes down to are they going to go for something that feels traditional or something that feels new? Parasite has impeccable production design. You know that house. You know that house after the movie is done. And so much of it is about that house. Now, do the voters know that that house was actually built for the film, as was the whole um, basement and, and the area where they live? I mean, do they know this? Or, I mean, it could just be any... Because that's what sort of makes it so fascinating. I mean, whether they know it or not, you know, I mean, you can't argue with what is on the screen. And and some of that was even, you know, aided by special effects. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly in the outdoor, um, the exterior shots of the house... Uh, you know, I think they use visual effects to um, elaborate on it. 
I don't know. I really hope it's Parasite. But at the same time, you know, Christina, I think I've said this in years past, when it comes down to a close race and there's the one I want to win and the, <laughs> the one that I think will win, I always go for the one that I think will win so that if I'm wrong, at least the winner was something wanted. So in this case, as much as I want it to be Parasite, I'm going to exercise an abundance of caution and say 1917. Although I can't promise that when I issue my predictions later in the week that I won't completely have changed course because it's coming down to the wire. Um, and it seems like Deacons, in terms of 1970 and the sweep we're talking about here, potential sweep for cinematography, that seems to be like a lock, right? Everyone's yes, talking about it. Yeah. absolutely. I mean, for a long time, Roger Deakins was sort of the famous Oscar bridesmaid, never the bride. He had been nominated so many times for so many staggering films, instead of including a lot of the Coen Brothers movies, and yet he'd never won. That changed two years ago with... Uh, Blade Runner, the Blade Runner sequel, and I think it, he's just gonna. Now that he's in the club, he's really in it. Uh, there's no way he doesn't win for all of those, you know, exceptional long takes in 1970. So, sort of like when we spoke last year, we have the same situation regarding the actors. There seem to be one in each category that's just a lock. There's no surprises, which is kind of boring. Um, what we have here is in, in supporting actress. Um, we have Laura Dern um, act in supporting actor, Brad Pitt. Then we have in lead actress, Renee Zellweger, of course, Judy, and Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Are there any upsets that you can see here? Well, I don't see them, but, you know, I'm quick to remember that last year we thought this exact same thing, and then Olivia Coleman won. And I remember being inside the theater when that happened, and there was such a scream, so much excitement because something had happened that was not preordained. Uh, it was just an electric feeling. Is that going to happen again this year? I kind of doubt it. I'm not sure where that would come from. Uh, Brad Pitt and Laura Dern definitely have this in the bag. I don't think any actress really presented herself as an alternative to Renee. Actor has the most sort of passion picks that you could see maybe amassing something. And yet Joaquin Phoenix and what he does in that movie is the classic example of what Oscar voters will love, which is transformation, something that feels arduous. It just feels like it'll be a shocker if any of these people lose. All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, potentially, because I remember the sort of theory about why Glenn Close didn't win was that they didn't like the movie as much as the favorite. Um, and she was, I mean, that that was sort of a factor in there. And I don't think people like Judy all that much, do they? I mean, I think they like it, and I think she's pretty wonderful in it. And I also just don't know what would unseat her. Little Women, it's not going to happen. Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, if they really want Cynthia in there, they'll give her a song. And then you come down to Charlize for Bombshell, which I just don't see them wanting to reward Megyn Kelly by proxy. So it probably does come down to Scarlett for Marriage Story and Renee for Judy. But just, you know, you haven't seen Scarlett get any FaceTime this season. No wins, you know. Whereas Olivia Colman had at least won the Golden Globe and delivered a very sort of charming speech. So Scarlett winning suddenly would really come out of nowhere. 
Okay, so our last precious minutes, I had to save a few for these two big ones, director and best picture, because I'm yeah. at a loss here. There's so many variables that I don't know, so I'm leaving it up to you. What are your thoughts? Look, the safe bet is to pick 1917 for both. It won the DGA, it won PGA, it won the Golden Globe. It has taken basically every significant award it needed to. It was... It did not win the Screen Actors Guild, which Parasite won, but 1917 is really not quite a feat of acting in any conventional sense. I mean, not to diminish what the actors do, but it's more about the spectacle, so you wouldn't have expected it to compare. Also, it was so late-breaking that it kind of didn't get into SAG contention. Um, So yeah, it should be 1917 for both, right? And yet... Uh, it is really hard for me to discount Parasite as a spoiler for a couple reasons. I mean, there is tons of historical precedent as to why it shouldn't win, namely that no film uh, that's not in the English language has ever won Best Picture. Um, but people love this movie. When it did win at SAG, there was such an expression of uh, an outpouring of happiness and goodwill, the pictures of the cast were intoxicating i think that monday after the sags hollywood was in full back padding mode like look at the good that we do um and bong joon ho who directed the film has been received as a rock star in almost every room he walks into this season i just can't fathom that with all those things going for them for the movie and for him that it won't make one of the top two categories but the question is can it and which um you know the oscars have been very receptive to a split as of late mm-hmm. um, when that happens director tends to go to the most technically audacious film which would probably in this case by a traditional metric be sam mendes for 1917 so if you hew to that then parasite's best chance is probably in picture um which is very possible there's the only thing is that there's that weird, wacky preferential ballot, um, which can sort of screw things up. I don't know. I think the sort of most analogous example here is Moonlight triumphing over La La Land. You know, right. La La Land had everything going for it. It won the same things. It won PGA and DGA. And yet Moonlight pulled it out at the last moment. How did it do that? Um I think a lot of it had to do with the sort of cultural context of the time, you know? you did, A movie like La La Land doesn't go from tying the record of Oscar nominations to losing Best Picture without something significant having changed in the interim. And I right. think in that case, it was the fact that Trump was elected and was being inaugurated right around the time that Oscar voters were starting to think about their ultimate votes. And so they wanted to send some sort of message Um, which Moonlight, in its way, allowed them to do. It felt distinctly anti-Trump, just in the sense that it stood for things that he never would. And La La Land, which was sort of, uh, you know, retro-leaning, just felt like not the right move. It felt like there had to be something contemporary in play. Now this year, of course, 1917 is the retro film, and Parasite is the extremely contemporary one. That's about the Incredible themes right now. Yeah. That, uh, that the U.S. presidential candidates are discussing. So it is very, very similar. Um, you know, I, I think what I'm going to end up saying on this, Christina, is that if I was telling people to fill out their Oscar pool, 
I would say go for the smart move, smart money, go for 1917. But I just can't shake that Parasite will win something, so I think I'm going to give it picture. That's I know what I'm. I will absolutely go for Mendes and director and Parasite and best picture because I also think it's going to be a historic that it's going to get best international picture and best picture. Yeah. I think it's going to be a thing. I think there's a That's case what I'm gonna do. made, <laughs> and again, this is a case that kind of flies in the face of precedent. There's also a case that could be made for the split to happen the exact opposite way. I know, I know. Um, like it's it's a lot more unlikely if you just look at what usually wins, but again the way that Bong is treated versus the way that Sam Mendes is treated, like, not that people don't respect the hell out of Sam Mendes, but, like, Bong is just, like, this season's star. Um, So I could see them just seeing his name and being like, I love that guy, I want to vote for him. Um, And yet, 1917 still triumphing. It's, you know, I mean, I'm excited that we have something that is coming down to the wire in such a significant in such a significant way, given that the acting categories feel so sewn up. Really, and isn't it but just as a side note, just to make. 17 winning everything and we'll be like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) of course they went the traditional route but isn't it kind of amazing that we're not even talking about scorsese and tarantino i mean they made amazing movies i would have told you in november that this would come down to the two of them which is a testament i think to how twisty oscar season can be um you know, it really did seem like it was coming down to the clash of the titans between those two. And I think Tarantino will be scratching his head trying to figure out what happened. It reminds me somewhat of A Star is Born last year with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They are right. both films that would traditionally be so, so, so in the Oscar wheelhouse. You know, they're basically about show business figures and about the vicissitudes of fame. Perfect material for... Oscar voters to respond to, you know, the movie made in their backyard. Uh, Tarantino has never won Best Picture before, and he'll retire soon, allegedly. So why wouldn't you give it to him now? And yet, I don't think, Christina, that they ever really successfully launched the, relaunched this movie. You know, it was a big summer hit, and when you have something that comes out out of the traditional Oscar season, you have to do a good, what they call a phase two relaunch. And I think they played it way too safe on this. You know, Brad Pitt was not campaigning. He was promoting Ad Astra. He went to certain award shows, but that's not campaigning. Leonardo DiCaprio was not campaigning. He didn't do any profiles. He did more work for other movies. He would, you know, if you had a Martin Scorsese tribute that you needed the presenter for, he'd happily go do it. Wow. Yeah. Um, and Tarantino would only sparingly do things. He did press only alongside, you know, say his costume designer or what have you, instead mm-hmm. of sitting down for major profiles on his own. I think they exercised an abundance of caution there because, you know, there are things Tarantino could say or be asked that could uh, provoke another cycle of headlines um that wouldn't necessarily be favorable to him but the result is that i think once upon a time kind of got lost there was one big sag screening for the whole cast everybody showed up but they didn't have that energy the whole season that's interesting there you see how important campaigning is well i think it's just you gotta remind people you know what they what they care about and what they cared about and what they felt when they watched your movie because the simple reality is there's so much going on in the world right now. 
so much. Every day feels like a little year in miniature. So a movie that came out several months ago, you know, it's not easy to win Best Picture, especially in this era when you have to remind people of how important the film was. You know, certain, certain movies and certain campaigns are good at recontextualizing the film, like Get Out came out so early in the year um, when it came out, but they did a fantastic job reminding people about how relevant it was, how mm-hmm. it was the movie day, and it eventually culminated in a screenplay win. And I don't know that Once Upon a Time has done that. I think everybody involved just rested on their laurels a little too much. Interesting. Well, Kyle, I will see you on Twitter on awards night. And if we feel like a 1917 sweep coming, we'll have to take a shot each time and see if we're. (laughs) (laughs) I I will be in the Oscars, but I might go to the bar. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again. And this is always so interesting to hear all your insights on this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Cal Buchanan. You can read his work at the New York Times and follow him on Twitter at Kyle Buchanan. And thank you so much for listening. It'd be great to hear your predictions ahead of Sunday. Get in touch via Twitter at Pod Pop Culture or at Christina Biru. And please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was edited by Julia Scott and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey Hey there! there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Sleepover Cinema, Cinema. our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.